The Holy Gospel of our Lord, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So also you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Our gospel lesson today is challenging. It's uncomfortable. Yesterday was the Feast of the Transfiguration, and I thought about preaching on that text today, or maybe doing something topical throughout August, or that old preacher stand by an instructed Eucharist, or a sore throat, something, anything to avoid preaching on this text. felt compelled to explore this one. You know, have you ever noticed how much Jesus talks about money? And not usually in a positive way. And for all the ways that we want to look to the Bible to find ways to condemn certain sins and behaviors in other people, of course, we rarely want to hear about the way that Jesus challenges how we interact with money. In fact, the church as a whole avoids talking about money, except during stewardship campaigns or building drives. And even then, we talk about money more like the world around us than like Jesus. But you know, if you really want to unnerve those people who like to use the Bible as a bludgeon, particularly using those one or two verses out of context that plainly demonstrate whatever they want you to change, this little passage, this little passage will unnerve that completely. It unnerves me often. You know, when we say, well, the Bible says it, so I do it. Except that little part about settling everything and giving to the poor. That verse, that verse requires a very nuanced interpretation because it says something very different than what it seems. It must. In true like all scripture, we need to look closely at the textual and cultural context. And like all scripture, the deeper we allow scripture to look into us, the more it challenges our own assumptions. Today, if we allow it, this passage 
will challenge our assumptions about money, power, and status. And it will challenge us to live in a radical way of faith. But I'm going to warn you that we may uncover more challenges than answers. And by the end, you may wish that I had found a way to avoid preaching on this text. So let's start by looking at where we are in Luke's narrative. Since we're talking about money, power, and status, we should remember that Luke addressed his work to his patron, Theophilus. And as we read, it's worth considering how much of the crafting, especially of this portion of the narrative, may be directed at Theophilus in his circle of peers. It's probably also worth considering how much we in 21st century America have in common with this wealthy patron. Since we're talking about challenging expectations, let us remember that we're traveling with Jesus on the wilderness pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem. The journey of revelation as Jesus prepares us for a Messiah that's not quite what we expect. The journey of transformation as we move toward the mystery of the cross and the resurrection. With this in mind, let us look at the portion of the narrative immediately preceding our text. After teaching on prayer, and if you're following along, that was at the start of chapter 11. After teaching on prayer, Jesus starts challenging his challengers. To those who claim that he's casting out demons by Beelzebul, he asks them, by whom do you cast out demons? To those who still demand a sign after seeing all the miracles that Jesus has worked, he says the only sign that they'll see is the sign of Jonah. He sits at table with one of the Pharisees and condemns their hypocrisy, the way they make an outward show of piety and still allow their hearts to be turned away from God. And then last week, we heard about the young man who comes demanding that Jesus tell his brother, divide the inheritance with me. And after telling a parable to the crowd, Jesus turns to his disciples and comforts them with the kingdom encouragement that just as God provides food for the birds and clothes the fields in the splendor of wildflowers, so God desires to provide for us all. And that's how we begin our lesson today. Jesus says to his disciples, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeah, so far, so good. Except Jesus is already challenging our status. Instead of being the wealthy and powerful ones able to give and withhold, Jesus addresses us as little flock and drives home the point that it is the father and the father alone who gives and we who receive. Then Jesus continues, sell your possessions and give to the needy. All those possessions, all that stuff that tells the world how important you are, sell it. All that stuff that makes you feel comfortable and secure about tomorrow, sell it. 
and give not to those who can return a favor nor those who are in a position that allows them to enhance your reputation. No, give it to the needy who can neither enhance your power nor your social status. And then Jesus is going to change the whole accounting system. No longer is wealth something that you must store and protect. No longer is it something you can touch and feel. No longer is it something that you can even count or trade. Wealth is now counted according to the way of the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus drives it home. Where you place your treasure is where you place your heart. Let's make this about more than money, because Jesus is about to do that. Where you find your status, your security, your power, all those things that we think wealth brings, that is where you place your faith. For Theophilus, the challenge is likely something like this. Will you place your faith in Rome or in the kingdom of God? Will you define your security by your money and your own abilities or in God? Will you define your status by the cultural norms around you or will you allow God to define your status as beloved child? Perhaps we're not too far separated from Theophilus in spite of the 2,000 years between us. You know, if we're keeping track of challenging questions along this pilgrim journey to the cross, we might add this one or circle it in red. Where is my heart? That's what Jesus is asking along this journey. Where is your heart? Something to sit with. And then Jesus goes on, and he gives us a command to a faith that is active and communal and kingdom focused. In our other readings today, we heard about the faith of Abram, trusting that God would provide a son. We heard a resounding call to faith in the psalm. We heard a roll call of the faithful in the epistle. We heard about those who held the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You know, at times, we're tempted to consider faith this intellectual assent. I have faith. I acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. But that doesn't mean I actually have to change how I live, does it? That doesn't mean I have to trust in this. Jesus calls us to a faith that is active. Stay dressed for action. Or in the older language, gird up your loins, gather your robes so that you can work. Put on your work gloves, keep your lamps burning, wait and watch. So what might an active faith look like? Let's say I walk into a dark room. I feel along the wall, I flip the switch, voila, the lights come on. I have faith walking into that room and flipping that switch that electricity will flow and that the light will come on. I have an active faith in CPS, Energy, and ERCOT. Let's say I go and I do some work for you. You hand me this little piece of paper with some funny green ink and some numbers and a picture on it, 
And I take it and I go to a store and I hand it to the owner of the store or the teller and they give me food. You know, we have faith that the value of that little piece of paper, something that I can neither eat nor build anything with, I have faith that it's going to have the same value to the person that I give it to as it does to me. I have faith in our monetary system. Now let's say I read 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Do I live according to this truth? Or do I still try to find my identity, worth, and value in the things of this world? Do I have an active faith in the love of God? Then Jesus goes on to tell a parable of servants waiting for their master's return. This is where we once again hear the challenge to Theophilus. A reminder that regardless of our status in this world, we are all servants when we call Jesus Lord. And if we read a little further, we find some grave warnings about how we servants are to treat one another as we wait. But in this section, we find a surprise. The master returns and finds his servants awake, and he doesn't sit down at a table and say, hey, come serve me. No, the master himself goes and serves the servants. An example for Theophilus and to us on how we should treat servants when we find ourselves in a position of power in this world. An active faith in Jesus as Lord shapes the community of believers as we acknowledge that each of us carries the same rank. The rank of servant, the status of beloved. And if we happen to have any advantage or privilege in worldly terms, we are called to use that not for our advantage, but in service of others. And this active and communal faith is what sustains us as we await the return of Christ in the fullness of his kingdom. As we heard in our epistle, it is by faith that we recognize that we are strangers and exiles on earth. And it's by faith that we wait for the city which God has already prepared for us. It's by this active and communal faith focused on the kingdom that we indeed live in the kingdom. We live as citizens of the kingdom in this world, even as we wait with great expectation for the fullness of the kingdom to come. It is in this faith that I invite you to come to this table, to participate in the great kingdom feast, to be filled with kingdom food. It is here at this table that we receive what Christ has to offer, his body, his blood, his very life for us. None of the metrics of the world matter at this table. None of the ways that we find status in the world matter at this table. For the only status we have as we come is as beloved. And that is kingdom treasure indeed. It is in this faith that we are sent out into the world 
and with eyes of faith, may we see what is unseen to the world. With ears of faith, may we hear the assurance of God. And with hearts filled with faith, may we know the fullness of love that is in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.